All right, quick announcement before we get to the podcast, but we're giving away a really sweet rifle setup. Right now through the end of October, if you go over to the Elk Hunt course and you sign up, you're going to be automatically entered to win a Weatherby Backcountry 2.0 in the 338 RPM. And not only the rifle, we're going to top that rifle with a Maven Optics RS1 rifle scope and Weatherby's going to hook you up with some ammo. This is a sweet Backcountry Elk rifle and the total package is over $4,000. So be sure to get your name in the October sweepstakes. And, you know, if you want to be a better elk hunter, this course is going to give you a few frameworks that I've learned over the years, and it's packed with some really, really great information. Go check out all the testimonials that people have taken it. They love it. And now's a great time to take the course because all of the mistakes that we made from this past season are fresh in our mind and we can say, oh, that's what I did wrong. So go check it out. It's the Elk Hunt uh, 201 course. Uh, it's, it links in the show notes. You can go to the Rich Outdoors page and go straight to there. But get your name in now to get entered into this $4,000 Weatherby Maven Optics package. This is a sweet gun. Go get signed up. All right, Cliff, welcome to WAP2 Wednesday, man. Uh, it's elk season's here. It's September. Like, we're ready to go. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, dude. Time goes by, life goes by, hunting season shows up about as quick as you can imagine, right? Dude. Like um, yeah, I know. And I guess that's the good part is like the older you get, the faster time goes, but means September comes around quick. But then again, like, man, you, you blink and September's over. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's kind of hilarious if you think about like the industry and, and the the obsession as a hobby or a lifestyle or whatever, it really is only at a maximum one month and really for most folks it's 10 days it's a week dude people yeah. people obsess about this and think about it year round for one week out of the year which is crazy but awesome uh and yeah I get yeah, it. yeah yeah if it was longer than that there'd be no elk left there's so many people that are enjoying it so <laughs> dude uh i've been loving your uh a series if anybody wants to go check out your series go check it out he's been uh cliff's been doing a ton of these like one tip uh before every day before season and you just put out a video the a youtube video that was 30 minutes long even though you said it was gonna be 15 and uh, it was kind of it was kind of like that dude i don't even know what to say about that that's standard uh, i laughed i was like when you were setting your thing for 15 i was like it's not gonna happen but um <laughs> it's all about like tips for you know over-the-counter tags or general tags like you know the pressure elk and man all of these are such good tips and i'm like these are all very, very true. Now I want to dive into that a little bit today. And one sure. of the things that I think about a lot is, you know, people obsess over what call to use, what gear to use. Like they, they obsess about, you know, all these things that they think they can control and then they get out there and none of that happens. And, you know, through your videos and your tips, it's very evident, like, okay, here's all the things that you're not going to think about, um, which I love. And yeah, sure. When you did this series, it made me think I'm a huge proponent of having a system. You know, I've interviewed a ton of elk hunters and I was always looking for more. I was like, you know, I wanted to learn more, wanted to learn more. And there was people that didn't call at all, you know, and then I'd interview the elk nut and he's like, just all about, you know, here's the perfect call to use. And, you know, my buddy, Sean, he's like one of the top big bull killers in the world. Doesn't even own a call, never has. And, you know, it was like, it became evident over the years that, Everyone has a system. And I think it's when I was watching your video, I'm like, this is why it's so important to have a system because you're, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. The famous Mike Tyson quote. 
And a lot of your tips are like, I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about the guy that goes out there and he's got this, you know, grandiose plan, bought all the gear. You just got, you know, oh, I'm going to go to this spot and then, you know, just gets punched in the mouth. The elk aren't there. The elk aren't talking or whatever. And so I thought it'd be fun to go through your system. I like diving into people's system. Um, and obviously your system is going to change whether you're like, you know, in Colorado or Montana, you know, a premium tag, like all these things. So let's, let's dive into like what your system would look like for say a, a, just a general tag. It could be Colorado. It could be Idaho. It could be whatever. And so we're going to parlay off the video we already made and just like, okay, what's your system? What's your day-to-day look like? Yeah. Yeah. So in, in we're, we'll dive like kind of right into, cause I touched on it in that video. And uh, so my system and elk, we're just talking about elk to get hunted a bunch basically. Right. right? So in, in the only, in the only, I guess, reason that I specify that is that in my experience when I've I've actually spent a fair amount of time guiding on places that the elk don't get hunted a lot and I think most people know this but when you first start getting into it you have to realize that there's like a big difference between (laughs) I mean it it has nothing to do with like the size and the age of the bull like it's almost irrelevant there there are there are two and a half year old raghorns in Colorado that have but it's it's kind of like when we talk about hunting experience, like that two and a half year old bull in Colorado, he's got 20 times the getting hunting experience versus a 380 inch bull on some ranch somewhere, right? So they do act differently. And what I notice is they they change up their spots much more readily, right? So what I the biggest thing that I noticed, and this is going to be very Colorado centric because that's most of the time that I've spent hunting this type of elk, that's where it's been. But I'm sure a lot of guys right now are driving out to Colorado hunt, so it should be relevant. But what I noticed with Colorado elk is in August, I would see them in one spot, even even the bulls after they shed their velvet, I would see them in a couple locations. And like August 25th, when I was putting in camps, I could go out and show you. 25 bulls a day, probably Cody, like it wouldn't be that hard. And then the first couple days of September, I might be able to show you the same, the same bulls. They, they start to realize what's going on. They realize there's camps in, but after that, they start to bump around. And particularly it seemed like once these big groups of cows bust up and they're in little groups. And and I, I noticed this a lot in Colorado. You will not see a bull with like, you know, 50 cows typically you'll usually see one with like 10 cows and you'll see another bull you know three miles away and he's got four or five cows like that seems to be the typical pattern so back to the idea of a system my system first in the first week is i go exactly where i think the elk are going to be and i feel and i and usually i can find them because i my august scouting just historical um experience with them i can find them that first week of september first four or five days but i go into it with the with the mindset that they're going to move almost everywhere that i hunted over the last 10 years i knew where some elk were the first five days of september and so did 10 other guys the a lot of those when i say other guys they're people that i would interact with year to year they're going to be in the same spots like they they know like hey this is you know this is where bulls are the first week of september before they get really messed with so my system first is finding the elk and in early September. It seems to be that very dependent on where I've seen them in August. And then 
after that, what I'll do is I had like, I always had a catalog of spots. You know what I mean? Cody, like, all right, the elk left this area. Typically it'd be like, uh, you know, exactly where you would think like high elevation, open country, phenomenal ha habitat, no bugs. That's where you find them in the flat tops or these other wilderness and wildernesses in Colorado. But after that, they'll, once the hunting pressure hits them, you've got to go find them. And uh, that's like the, to me, the biggest part of the system that it's, it's almost like 70% of hunters that go out and hunt this over the counter stuff. They fail to launch at that point because what they do is they get frustrated because maybe they saw some elk right in the early part of their hunt. Maybe they boogered them up. Maybe other hunters boogered them up. Who knows? Maybe some backpackers in September screwed it up. Who knows? But they're gone. And then they can't relocate them. And what I find is that the worst thing you can do is just bust your ass and just go around these trail systems. You know, look at Onyx. All the historical pack trails are on there. And you just start hiking those trails. That's not, that's not the best way to go find these pockets of elk uh, that, are, that, are, that are hunted really hard because they know those systems. So you have to go out and if you're lucky, you've got a history and you kind of know like, okay, what, where, where do these plants go? Where do these elk go in terms of their plan B, C, D, E, F? And then you can just go check those spots. For me, I mean, I'm blessed to have that knowledge, but for most people, they need to find those spots. So that means going and checking wallows that you didn't see them using in August or you didn't see them using the first week of September and make sure that when you find a spot that you're not looking at sign that's a week old, because you need to go find sign that's like, like warm. It, it, that, I mean, in my mind, if you're hunting sign that's a week old in September, it, it, it may not you know, mean anything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's, yeah, there's a really good chance it doesn't mean anything, you know, because um, the elk will just bump, bump off to a new spot if, if once they sense that anybody's messing with them. So that's that, like, that's the biggest chunk of the system in my mind. If you're oh, hunting a, this stuff, you you, go ahead, go ahead, Cody. No, I was gonna say, I'm a huge, I'm a hundred percent uh, back this. And it's like, people need to separate finding elk from trying to kill elk. And too many people go out there and like start sneaking around. And, you know, if they see some sign, it's like, you know, they're just moving. They're not covering enough ground. And like, again, like a hundred percent don't, that doesn't mean you're like hiking 15 miles a day on trails like that. You know, those are bad as roads and sometimes worse like you're almost better right. as bugle from the freeway uh you're like you're gonna have more yeah. luck um and so like but like this whole concept i'm a huge believer of it is like you know you look at like rifle versus archery archery is like 70 percent of the battle is finding elk and, or sorry 70 percent of the battle is killing the elk not finding them and then the, when you switch it to rifle it's like all of a sudden it's like now finding them becomes very hard and the killing becomes very easy uh, but you gotta like put a lot of your effort in just to be able to find these pockets and you know again you're trying to like hunt the people i oh, mean i'm a huge believer of like what is everyone else doing and because that's going to be where the elk find those pockets right like you gotta think how other humans are going to hunt like oh yeah they're going to be hiking this trail like this main parking lot or whatever you show up at the trailhead and there's 20 trucks you're like okay that corridor is pretty well burnt out it doesn't yeah. mean you have to just go farther and farther it's like how do you find those pockets around where people are driving by and in your video you talked about you know what's the hill you can't see that's the one of the big things if i'm hunting super pressured areas 
I'm driving around thinking about what I can't see. So like all, you know, you're driving this big base and you can kind of see everything and then you go around a bend and for a while you can't see, like if I can't see out, you know, this is kind of hard from a podcast perspective, but if I can't see a hill or something like what's there and I'm like, what can't I see? Because humans are really good at like, you know, they see this beautiful basin, they hunt the beautiful basin, they bugle into the beautiful basin. Right. And like, you're trying to think about like what humans can't see from the road. Yeah. It's literally like, uh, I'm trying to think of like how to describe it. I think what happens Cody is like, sometimes we give the elk too much credit, right? Like, man, they're so smart. Like they know people are here. So they bump to the other spot. And it's like, I think what it is, man, is there's just this year after year, intense screening mechanism that people put on the elk. If it's easy, like if you see somewhere that's easy for you to glass, you're not the first guy. If you're hunting a tag that issues 1,200 bull tags or, you know, 2,000 bull tags a season or, you know, every archery season, like you're you're not going to like just magically locate some secret spot. So it doesn't mean that it's not good elk country and the elk don't use it, but it means like this, this hunting pressure screening mechanism. It's like, okay, the minute they hang in that spot within 24 hours somebody sees them and goes up there and harasses them so they move on you know so it's like this this screening mechanism from the pressure that happens and uh it's crazy the the anecdote i always use is i i like i can't tell you how many times i've been somewhere and there's a lot of hunting pressure in in some of these you know some parts of colorado the hunting pressure can feel more intense because the country's real open. So if you get up where you can glass somewhere, even during archery season, you're going to see archers, you're going to see their camps. Um, and it might, it might feel like there's, you know, three or four different groups of guys, you know, all within your site, eight miles into the wilderness. So it's like, man, I can't believe how much hunting pressure is there, but I've literally sat. There's a couple specific spots that they would do this historically. And I would watch like, okay, there's a camp off to my left a camp, you know, to the north of me, a couple miles, and there's some archers off to the right. And then there'd be like a finger ridge of timber or something, right? And nobody can see it. And I'm talking like these elk or this this chunk of timber is within a mile and a half of probably 10 guys. And you go in there and you get where you look, look at it. And a lot of times I'll do it at lunch. If I'm going to glass timber, I'll do it at lunch because I'm like going to sit there anyways. I'm, I'm kind of bored. And you just look at that and then sure enough, like four hours into it, a cow gets up in that timber and then you really start to glass it and you're like, dude, there's 25 elk here, a couple bulls in here and they're not leaving. Like they're literally living in this, you know, this half mile, you know, three quarter mile radius area and they know, you know, they know what's going on around them and they're going to stay like right in that spot. But if you observe it as an outsider, like these elk are in the middle of the pressure and it's like, no, not in their mind. They've just sucked down, you know, where they're going to go. And uh, I think that's one challenge of hunting very good habitat. You know what I mean, Cody? Like a lot of this country that that people are hunting, it's kind of it's kind of by it's kind of by definition. If there's a ton of tag allocation in an area, it means at least at some point there was a high, you know, high right. uh, a carry, carrying capacity of elk. So the habitat's good, right? It's not like there's two, 
you know, guzzlers in a, you know, 50 mile radius or something. And the elk are going to have to depend on that in the flat tops. I mean, there are a lot of, you know, thousand yard radius areas that could hold 15 elk for like five months and they're not, and they're going to be fine. You know what I mean? So I, I think the concept I use a lot that's, that's out there is everybody talks about post rep bulls, like a, in, you know, a couple bulls will go somewhere where they have everything and they'll hole up and they will not leave. Very true. But it's also very true about these elk that are rutting. If they can get somewhere where, where they're fine, they got water, they got timber, they got some feed, they'll stay right there. You know, um, I didn't mean to get it off track, man. But no, no, totally. And I, I was thinking about a spot I used to hunt in Idaho and they would do this constantly. You know, they'd stack into these little tiny timber pockets and I don't know if it's like causation or correlation, but it would always be like on this really windy face. And I think the reason that works is because no one can hear the bugles because it's on this windy yeah. side, you know, it's like, no one's really going to find them because they can't hear them bugle. They can't see them from anywhere. You know, it's like, that's like, and it's not like they're so smart. They hide there. They're just like, when I hide here, no one comes. So, you know, that's yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think that's the case. Like they just, you know, it's like, uh. It's like the pinball machine, right? When the ball gets stuck, right? Because no paddle can hit it, you know. Yeah. It's like, oh, the elk are so smart. It's like, no, dude, they just bounce into a spot that nobody, like, nobody screws with them, so they hang out there. You know, yeah. They're pretty, you know. They got their instincts. They're not, you know, they're survivors, but they're not. Totally. They're not. They don't have a onyx with everybody's camp marked out. They just end sure up. Sure feels like it sometimes, but. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Dude, some, I mean, sometimes I shouldn't like belittle it too much because I do think particularly cows, like some of these cows that are like a decade old, they got spots they go to and they, yeah. they got spots where they don't get screwed with and, and they, you know, they'll, they'll move into those spots. And I also believe that there's spots where these elk go that I won't mess with them. Like I've just played this game too many times where like a cow, find, you know, she, this her lead cow knows a spot where if she goes, the wind is always messed up. And, yeah. you know, she'll tuck that bull down in there and like, they'll just be there. And I've tried to hunt them for a week straight and it'll just like, they won't even leave it. I'll bump them or something. And they'll still go right back there. Yeah, the whole time there. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, you know what? Leave elk to find elk because this time is like, you could sit here. And I, I think that's a mistake. Some people make is like, they get, you know, if you've ever been in a spot where the wind just seems like you can't get it right. Well, that's like, you know, the equivalent of a, a trout hanging out in a back eddy. Like you're just, it's an uphill battle. You know, you're just really yeah. going to be tough to kill that bull or any bull in there. And so it's like, sometimes I do believe it's you know better just to go find different elk and, you know, maybe come back or something. If, you know, maybe just keep an eye on those elk, see if they do something, if they make a mistake that that happens. Um, but I'd be curious to like, kind of get into your like system for finding elk. And I know like early season, it's like, okay, you can scout them. They should be in theory, at least for a couple of days doing the same thing. Yeah. But what's your system for finding these pockets when like, just say hypothetically, you didn't have, you know, the historical knowledge you do from years and years of guiding, but like during that 10 to 20 time frame, like you're like, okay, I'm in a new area how do you find these pockets? How do you like cover a bunch of ground efficiently? And how do you make, you know, be effective with your time? Because you have limited, you know, five, 10 days uh, to get it done. You're like, I need to find all of these pockets. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's two or three ways that, that I personally do. Everybody's going to have their, their strategies, but even where there's a lot of water in the flat tops or other wilderness areas in, in Colorado, 
they still use it. Like they hit it a lot uh, right. during, during the rut. So a lot of times what I'll do is like particular, like if there's a, if there's a trail somewhere and then you see like a lot of little small ponds, you see like, even on Onyx, a lot of times you can see like these dry holes and then, you know, off in the aspens there or something, there'll be some seep that's going down into them. So I look, I do look at water a lot, which I always, I kind of poo poo a little bit because there's water all over the place. But what I'll do is I'll go to those off, you know, off trail spots that I think could be, could be spots where elk are using it. And when I start doing that, like I might go hit five, 10 of them a day. When I do that, I'm looking for like water that's murky, like the elk were in there the night before. Right. You know what I mean? So that's one, that's one way I'll do it. And then I'll figure out, okay, like they're using this pocket um, for water. Where would be a reasonable place for them to be bedding and hanging out? Usually that's fairly evident if you can find the water that they're hitting right then. So I'll do that. The other thing I'll do, and this this sounds it's it's kind of funny, but what what I'll do particularly on trails where that are going through aspens and in the Colorado, there's a lot of this, and there'll be tall grass, particularly in like a wet year like this. A lot of times what I'll do is these drainages will go, will be low and then I'll crawl up off of them. Like, you know, I don't know, 800 yards, you know, off of them and then three, 400 feet of elevation and I'll glass for uh, basically the grass being pushed over. Cause you can glass it. Right. You, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Does that absolutely. make sense? Yeah. And cause a lot of times what the elk will do is, and it's a historical thing. All the pack trails in these wilderness areas are usually on, they're either on the ridge top or they're down the, 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 down the Creek bottom. Right. And so a lot of times elk will never touch those trails. Like you, you could ride those trails for freaking, you know, months and not see a track, but they'll be paralleling those trails and they'll be uh-huh. like laying in little benches in there or whatever. So if I can get where I can glass a little bit, and I can glass a lot of that grass where I can, you know, from a distance I can see. It's just like it's just like glass and snow for tracks. Yep. You know, like yeah. if you're you can be a, a freaking mile away from a snow slide and you can know that a bear walked across it or whatever. You know what I mean? So I'll do that for sign. A lot of times, you know, that'll that'll tell me stuff. Um, or I can pick up elk that are avoiding the trail system that way. You know, those are, you know, those are two examples of what I do. And the other thing, Cody, is I kind of know what the, I, I kind of know what the type of topography looks like that they go into. Um, yeah. And again, that's based on like a, I don't know, like a sixth sense that a guy, that a guy picks up on. Let's well, get um, intuition. Like you've seen enough like Elky slash Bucky. Um, you, you have, you know, a gut intuition about it. And like anyone who's done it for a lot of years, you're like, you can look at a map and say, man, that that's got all the things, right? Like, I don't know if there's for sure out there, but like, that's got the things that I, that I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, and I think there's like a, it's a little bit of a, it's a little bit related to an idea that we, we already, we already touched on. And that's like the topography that I'm thinking of is, is country that's very hard to glass unless mm-hmm. you're in it a lot of like, and I mean, it's, it's, I, I can kind of describe it. It's it's hard uh, over a podcast, but I think it'll make sense to people. Is if you get like these kind of concave, like mildly concave bowls that are you know up you know up on benches, those seem to hold elk when they get when they get hunted really hard. At least in the country that I've hunted, and you cannot see in them literally unless you're on the edge of them, which means 
you might be glassing like 700 yards or 800 yards, you know, um, you know, or you have to literally climb like a 14 or to look in there, you know what I mean? Um, so uh, that kind of topography, like always sets me off. I'll go, I'll go check it out. So you could only have, can I give you? No, for sure. hundred percent answers the question. If you could only have three tools in your toolkit, um, and this could be like my cow calf call, my locate bugle could be like, okay, I'm only going to glass. If you could only have three tools in your toolkit, which, which three would they be? For archery elk? Yeah. Three tools. Um, it would just be, it'd just be a diaphragm call. Um, I, I mean like, it, okay, like, let me, let me specify a little bit. So like, yeah, yeah types of call like we'll break down like what are the types of call like you know i there's guys that only do cow calf there's guys that only locate and then slip in you know there's guys that challenge bugle like i think of those all as individual tools um oh, not I like a saying. specific actual yeah, yeah i'm like okay, yeah i got you i was like dude three things i mean shit it's gonna be a rough rough hunt yeah yeah i mean for me for me it would just be a locate bugle a cow calf sound a cow calf sound and really if I was being very, if I had to choose one of those, it'd be a calf sound for me, for me personally. Um, and then, uh, I mean, those are the two primary ones that I use, man. And then, and then my wind check bottle that oh, I could probably go. run around, you know, those would be the things if I, if I had to guide naked and only choose three things, I'd have my <laughs> wind check bottle and my, my, you know, my bugle and, uh, my, you know, a diaphragm that I felt comfortable doing all three with. The thing is, is like, in all, I'll be honest with you, Cody, like I'm weird with, with calling a little bit because I always have this idea and this, this could be totally manifested in my brain, but I always view calling is like a, there's a risk to it. I always view a cost to it. Yeah, you know what I mean? Totally. And I don't think, I don't think people, uh, not, not all people view it that way. And if you're like a, I mean, if, it's across species, man. If you're a big duck hunter, um, you know, turkey hunter, elk hunter, and you do a lot of calling, eventually you realize like, oh, like some of these situations I'm making worse. You know what I mean? Um, and then I think that even within, if you dive into the sounds, I personally view some sounds riskier than other sounds. Like for me personally, like an aggressive cat, like even like what you might view as a sharp, aggressive calf sound, I've never, I can't imagine situations or I don't remember historical situations where I felt like it screwed up the situation, right? I don't feel the same about bugles. And the, th the, the only reason I say that, and like there's particular sounds and it might be that I suck at making them or I'm not as consistent, but like I hear guys, you know, chuckle and lip ball and uh, they're so good at it, right? But and I can do it. Like I, I can make the sound. I can watch elk on YouTube or whatever. And I can, I can do a chuckle that sounds very similar, but then in the field, I'll get halfway through a chuckle and it'll like sound off. You know what I mean? And, and then <laughs> I think to myself, like, why did I do that? What did I gain from chuckling? Did, if I would have just, you know, just low, high, low, bugle simple bugle that i can hit every time i can hit it when i'm down on the ground and my lungs are compressed i can sit when i'm against a tree i can make a bugle that sounds like a bugle why the f did i just chuckle and in the middle of it it sounded weird you know so there's things that i just avoid because i'm like risk adverse to like what's the upside of doing that uh when i know there's a potential downside 
Um, that's it might sound a little weird to you, but that's how I I think about it. Um, no, I would, I, I would agree with ahead. that, and I think there's a lot of people who are that way about calf calls. Like they're like, you know, there's zero downside to a calf call, um, and I they still gives way location. So there's not zero downside. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I, and I agree with that. And, and like, I don't know. It's funny. Maybe this is like the, I grew up Roosevelt hunting and calling. So like, to me, the chuckle is everything. Uh, and maybe that's like, you yeah, know, yeah, like that's I feel funny. like that's the, that's one that doesn't have a lot of downside to me is like, it's just a sound. Uh, it's not yeah, yeah. like aggressive or non-aggressive. Uh, yeah. That's interesting. The, well, I you're probably it, good at it. You're probably, you probably feel the same way as I do on like a, just a straight bugle, right? Like right. every time you're going to hit it, it's going to sound realistic. You're not going to midway screw it up, you know? I, I do think that like the, no, Garrett, I think the important thing, and I'd be curious about your thoughts on this are like, to me, the important thing for most people is dude, people get like, oh, do I do, you know, the elk nut method? Do I do the born and raised method? Do I do like, you know, like they get so wrapped into like what exactly they're saying and all this. And they like, they do something different every time. Right. And so like when you're learning and yeah. you don't have that gut intuition, you, you start just doing different things every time. You're like, Oh, maybe I'll be less aggressive. Maybe more. Now I'm just going to calf call, you know? And it's like every great hunter that I've talked to usually has like their system. And they're like, here's the two or three bags in my, in my bag of tricks. And I'm going to make these work. I'm going to just, you know, throw this out there until I find the right, you know, when it comes along. And instead of trying to bounce around, I think people get too wrapped into like a million different options, especially when you're new and you just don't have, you know, the gut intuition built up yet. You know, it's like, I think it's really important to be like, okay, I'm going to just do these things until I learn elk behavior, until I learn what elk do, till you know, until I figure out like how to like make, get in the red zone and make it happen. And I, I think like you're, you're like, if I could guide naked with nothing, but like, you know, locate bugle, a cow calf and a bottle of wind. I'm like, yeah, 99% of people should probably take up that like strategy. Like, I'm just going to do those until I learn elk behavior until I like figure out how yeah, to get yeah. in the red zone. Dude, I, I have like a, probably like a little bit of a controversial take on this. I want to, I want to circle back to what you did mention. Cause I, I didn't, I didn't hit on it real well about giving up location. Cause I think that's like super important. But what I wanted to say is I think that my opinion is the reason there are so many people dead set on the way they call. Cause I've been with some people that, you know, some of these people that are very well-known elk hunters, they have a system of how they call and they're dead set on it is I think that it's all path dependent, right? They started with that system and they developed that system. And then what they take for granted in their own mind is how good they are at the other components of, of hunting elk, like the wind, their setups, knowing where the elk are going. A lot of these guys, they don't, they will never talk about it in their calling videos you know, what they put out there. And I, you know, they're not avoiding it on purpose, but when you hunt with them, you're like, oh, this dude has like the intuition of knowing exactly what the wind's doing, exactly where those elk are going. Like no shit, his call system is going to work because, right. you know, a big part of it is that he's like a killer outside of the call system. So a lot of different systems, like if I got this guy to do the exact same system I did, he'd probably be pretty close to having right. the same success rate. But what he's what I, what he's like putting out there or marketing is his system, and I don't and he any and he maybe for it, it, it's not it's not intentional is what I'm saying, Cody. I just think there's this thing where people are much better at setups and getting where elk are going to be, and then their call system happens to work 
And then over years of doing, I mean, if you do that for 20 years and you're like, dude, this is what I do every time. You're like, yeah, this is how you should do it. And I get that. You know what and I mean? It, but every, oh, yeah, dude, there's ahead. a bunch of stuff there. I do want to circle back. There's too, so many things. Uh, so it is, let's worth noting that most of those people also sell calls. So like, yeah, I yeah, won't, sure. I won't, I'm not punch, like making jabs. That, that system can work and like 100%, but you were so accurate that it's like, there's a piece of it that's unspoken or not told is like, they're really good at manipulating that. The other day you made a post about like, Hey, you know, don't try to like call your bull to you. You're like trying to get him to like nudge. And this is so accurate because, you know, we see all these videos like, Oh, I bugled this bull in. You're like, well, he was coming right at you and he bugled him like 10 yards off of his original path. Like that's super easy yeah. to do. Right. And getting a bull yeah. to come 500 yards you know, and yeah, it happens. Like I, I believe anyone that's told me like they bugled, you know, a, a, an elk in 500 yards. Like it's, yeah, it's tr for sure happening. Yeah, fast. sure. <laughs> but 99% of the time you're like, that guy is super good at predicting where they're going to be getting in front of them with the perfect wind and like just making that call. that's going to nudge them over. And I'm like, that is so true. And people go out thinking like, Oh, the, the Primo's video told me I just locate and then I call him over here to me. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like yeah, try yeah, to, yeah. try to like nudge him, not move him. And I thought that was really good insight. What you posted the other day. Dude, and that, like the thing about that Cody is that to me, that's a cross species, man. Are you yeah. a duck hunter or turkey yeah, hunter? Absolutely. It's like the same thing. I do. I remember when I was like 10 or 11 years old, I used to have all the old duckman videos, like the Phil Robertson videos, like before the dude was famous. And I remember, I still have him. I actually think I have him in this office, like the VHS. But I remember watching him and, you know, he was a, he was selling duck calls at the time. But he said like, hey, you know what makes a really good duck caller? Being in the spot that the ducks want to land at. Dude, if you're and on the X, like, you're a great duck caller. <laughs> yeah, dude. It, it, it's so true. I mean, particularly in waterfowl. But it, it's like the same thing. Like if you're in the body of water that's right next to it, it's going to be like 10X harder. You still have a chance. If you're in the pond that's a thousand yards away, no way. It doesn't yeah. matter how good a caller you are. It's kind of this, I mean, it's the same thing with elk, dude. Like if he's going to, if the bull is going to walk, you know, 60 yards from you anyways, all you got to do is convince him to like mosey over and take a peek at you. You know what I mean? Dude, like think um, about it, Miriam's like how many times are like, you know, like, are you going to call a Miriam across the river? Like, no, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, not going to happen. So like, you have to like, be in his way. Right. And like people for some reason think that like, that maybe just marketing that, you know, marketers have said like, you can call an elk, you know, anywhere, but it's like, yeah, if you just take the same philosophy, like if you're on the X, like it makes it real easy to call elk, you know, like, or on ducks. Yeah, yeah. And if you do the same thing for elk, man, it's so much easier. Yeah. yeah. Well, dude, I think with elk, it ties into to what you mentioned is like, once you've called at them and like, you know, and, and then particularly once you've kind of set up on them and you're making a lot of a lot of sound they know exactly where you're at so if they're a thousand yards away they got a whole lot of distance to figure out that you're screwing with them yeah you know what i mean where whereas if it's like you know if you if you pop up you know 20 yards you know off the bull's path already and he's you know he's 60 yards down the trail and he hears you he's like he doesn't have that much time to not to to figure out what's going on he's just like hey, check that out and by then he could be dead that's right. the best and the thing yes. is, man, is that when i say i know why it doesn't get talked about a lot because it's not that cool you know what i mean it's like oh well i snuck up on him i got him to come off the trail 10 yards and then i <laughs> whacked him 
it's you know what's like, cool? oh, dead elk are cool. Yeah, that's the thing is that like, you know, there's dude, there's times personally where I think you're way better off not you're way better off not calling. You know what I mean? If if he's gonna walk by you anyways, don't call at all. Just shoot him. Like a great if, example is like call 99. right before you release the arrow. You know. Oh yeah. And I, a great example is like, you know, you locate a bull at first light and you're like, Oh, I got this bull. He's, he bugles every time I bugle. So you keep bugling and you're like, he's going away. Oh, he's scared of bugles. Like, no, he was just going to where he was going. He's following this yeah, cow yeah, yeah. and the cow doesn't care about you. So like, he's just going there. But what you did is now like the whole time you bugled following him, like one of two things happened. Like maybe you got lucky and you just pissed him off enough, but, or like, he shut up and was like, yeah, something's not right. This guy can't chuckle like for sure a human. Yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah, yeah. You, you, you weird him cents. out. You, yeah, yeah. You weird him out. You're doing something that's odd, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So what's your, uh, no, like, all good stuff. I was to say like, I'll try to wrap it up here. Um, what's your like number one advice uh, around, I, would say, I wouldn't say burnout, but like fatigue and no one likes to talk about this and everyone's a superhero and, and mental toughness, but you were talking to, you know, in your video a little bit about this. And I was like, man, this is a huge piece of it. I think any, any hunter goes through this where you're like, you just get burnout. You don't know what to do next. Um, you know, like, ah, uh, maybe I should just go home. All these things. Like what's your, what's your, you know, advance advice or an answer or like, you know, uh, two cents on how to overcome that. Like, shitty hunt fatigue yeah yeah like when it's just like it's just yeah, rough it sucks right yeah i mean it's it's hard man i dealt with it a ton when i was you know commercially outfitting because you you know you you never want to pack guys out early because you you always feel like oh they're not like they're not happy with the service right and i would okay. deal with this when the hunting got tough a lot of guys want to come out early because they don't feel like they have options you know, they don't, they, you know, they just get like, well, I could be doing something better. Right. I could be yeah. with my family or, or whatever, which I, which I understand that. I mean, I think the, I think there's like a lot there. Cause I think a lot of times what happens to newer hunters, I shouldn't even say newer hunters, just guys that they don't get to spend a lot of time uh, up in the mountains is a lot of what they're feeling really has nothing to do with the elk hunting has more to do with just like camping. Right. So they're worn out because they're not sleeping as well. They're not, they're eating, you know, dissimilar food than what they eat at home. So their digestive system screwed up. Maybe they're dealing with altitude. And so all of that makes you weak mentally. It makes, I mean, everybody, I'm not like, I don't exclude myself from that. Right. Like for me, usually, usually like even when I'm guiding like two, three days in before I get like my body right, there's always a moment of like, what am I doing with my life? Like, I should be in a cubicle right now making some money. Not, you know what I mean? Like, so the thing is, it's like everybody deals with that. I think there's a couple of mental tricks you can do. You can really, you, you can really put it in perspective that, Hey, you know, you've spent six months planning for this. You spent a lot of time. You've, you've almost, you probably like, don't get into these things of manifesting excuses that oh like your wife's upset with you or your kids are missing you the reality is your your kids know that you're going to be gone the whole week you've been talking about it for a year they probably aren't even thinking about you you know what i mean so put that in perspective your family doesn't miss you what are you talking about it, well you you know what i mean like people but people use it as an excuse totally. you know what i mean yeah. and and i and i'm not and i get that like i there's being homesick and stuff is a real thing but you have to put it in perspective of like look I got three more days on this hunt. 
what's the worst thing that happens that I continue to hunt for three more days and it continues to be crappy. Right. And I don't, I don't get into elk, right. That's the worst case scenario. So you're probably hunting with buddies. You're probably in a beautiful area, put it in perspective that the worst case scenario is you're going to have an awesome camping trip through the, through the next two or three days. So that's one way I think that guys can mentally think about it. The other way that I think people, particularly newer folks should think about it is all elk hunts are like this. Like it's not, you, you can't, this is not like, and it's, this is where I think Cody and not like, I don't want to get negative on social media and stuff. Cause I, I think there's a lot of value to it too. But I think it gets us a little bit screwed up that most elk hunts are like you're in the action all the time. You're going to have multiple chances. You know, you're going to draw your bow every day. Like, dude, I, I don't know. It may be different where you're know, Montana, Idaho, where you spend a lot of your time, Cody. But, dude, in Colorado, I mean, the vast, vast majority of archers will not, will not draw their bow. Like, the vast majority of them. Some will draw their bow and then, you know, and then not get a shot. Some will hit a bull and, and, and blood trail it for three days. Some will be successful, but the vast majority of them are not going to draw their bow. So if you have that in your, you, you need to have that in your mind that like, look, I'm only going to get like one or two opportunities. I'm only halfway through this thing. So it's not like this is the norm. You're not in, you're not necessarily in like a shitty hunt. You're in the right. normal hunt, man. Like this is how this type of hunting goes. And I think that that makes a big difference as you think about it. Cause you, I always say like, it only takes one moment and that's true. Like, you know, like all the successful or the vast majority of the successful hunts that I've guided, man, it's been like, it's been shitty until the guy shot one. <laughs> you know? I don't mean shitty is like an experience. I mean, the hunting's been tough until we yeah. shot one. And then we forgot that the hunting was tough, you know? I mean, so, nine uh, times out of 10, it's like, oh my gosh, that just happened. You know, it's a sudden thing. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I can't believe that just happened. That's yeah, yeah. So like every, every, you know, success is like that. Um, and, you know, as you're talking, I was thinking about this analogy of, you know, if you were to go build a cabin and you had no building experience or whatever, you're like, you were just tasked to build a cabin. You would look at it as, you know, you'd start and you'd get frustrated. You're like, I don't have the right tools. I don't have the right things. And like, I have this sure. cabin's, you know, too, maybe it's, I'm overhead. Maybe I'm over my head. And you start to doubt and all these things. And, you know, for the guy that's built a uh, hundred houses or whatever, like the guy that built, uh, has built a hundred houses looks at it as like step-by-step. Step. And this, I mean, I, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse today, but it's like, you know, the systems thing. It's like, you know, inputs equal output. So you're like, I'm just going to keep doing my inputs. You know, I'm going to keep step-by-step, step, right? I'm going to keep looking for elk, keep looking for elk. And that to me has always helped me get through the shitty hunts because it's not like I'm like, oh man, that was my one opportunity. Dang it. You know, I missed it up. Yeah. And just like you said, there's, everyone has fatigue. Everyone has, you know, real life bogging them down mentally. Like when you get put out in the woods by yourself, all of a sudden you think about all the things you should be doing. And I think that's super common. And for entrepreneurs, definitely it's like, Oh my gosh, I need to do this. Oh my gosh, I need to do this, this. And you're like, all of a sudden you're like weighing this cost. You know, I'm away from my family. I'm doing all these things. Like this isn't worth it. Cause I'm not even seeing elk. Right. And so like, it's easy to get in your own head, um, you know, mental fatigue when you're physically fatigued, all these things. And so for me, it's always like, inputs, 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 like, okay, I'm going to search here. I'm going to search here. I'm going to search here. And this is where to me, having a system like helps that com immensely. Cause it's like, I know if I'm building a house, it's like, okay, 
let's get the foundation done. All right. We got framing to do. Uh, let's get subfloors. Like all these things that you're just kind of walking through this, you know, you know that you just got to do each step and it's like, I need to go, I'm going to go check here. I'm going to go check here. I'm going to go check here. And I know like if I search a hundred good spots and, you know, my gut intuition says like, mm, might be elk here. If I check a hundred of those, at least one or two are going to have elk. Right. And it's just like, yeah, yeah, sure. I just know I got to do like, I got to check more spots. I got to check more, you know, those little creeks or drainages or whatever, like whatever it is, I have to do more inputs. And that helps me keep my mind off of like, I'm just sitting here doing nothing. I'm wasting my time. Yeah. All those like negative intrusions. Yeah, no, I think that's a good, good way to put it. And, and the thing is, is like, if you think about it that way, Cody, it's like, you might be, if it's a seven day hunt, you might be in state, you might be in step one of your system finding an elk for five days, yeah. right? Like you might, and then on the fifth day you find them and now you're hunting for the next 72 hours. And those 72 hours are where you get your opportunities, where you have an awesome experience, all of that. And then, so you do step one in five days and then you do step two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight in the next 24 hours. You know, it could be 30 minutes so, for all, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, man, but no, I stuff. think that's a good way to think about it, man. Man. Awesome stuff. Well, thank you so much for jumping on. I know you're, you're heading out to go elk hunting right now. So, uh, best of luck. I mean, it's go time. I'm stoked. Uh, so yeah, good yeah, luck. Man. Yeah. Good luck on your stuff, dude. I actually got, I'm actually mountain goat hunting here first for about a week, but then I'll be, I'll be archery hunting with you guys. So all good, man. Yeah. And you got your own goat tag this year too, right? Yeah, I do. I've got, I'm guiding one hunt and then I'm, and then I'm doing mine right after that. So yeah. Nice. Fun. Heck yeah. That, I mean, that I'm jealous of that. I would kind of, that's my next one. I want to do a mountain goat pretty bad. Oh, so. Okay. <laughs> cool. All righty, Cliff. Thanks, man.